Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop, Gist Yarn and Fiber. Bhakti Zeke is a well-known artist, weaver, and teacher who currently lives and works in Vermont. She creates narrative weavings using jacquard looms, and she helped to establish the graduate program in textile design at the Philadelphia College of Textiles and Science. Bhakti is also taught at the University of Kansas, Arizona State University, the Art Institute of Chicago, and at Penland, among other places. I first met Bhakti a few months ago when she came to visit me in my yarn shop slash studio, and I've really been looking forward to having a conversation with her for the podcast. There's a whole lot more that I could include about her long and varied career in this introduction, but let's just dive right into it and hear from her directly. Bhakti, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Welcome. Well, thanks. Thank you for inviting me, Sarah. Can you start out by sharing a little bit about yourself and how you started your journey as an artist and a weaver? Uh, sure. Um, well, I've been weaving now for 50 years. So in 1969, I was living in New York City and I had a degree in psychology. And those times, a little bit like now, a lot of dissatisfaction and I wanted to go live on a commune. So I, I didn't think my education really offered anything to to a commune and I felt that I really needed a skill to bring so that I would be a, a welcome member. Uh, so I started taking lessons in ceramics and I signed up for weaving at the Craft Students League. Um, so you know it was kind of a fluke I never did get to a commune. Um, but I haven't stopped learning how to weave. <laughs> so it's been a really interesting and long journey. Wow, that's kind of a big leap. What what made you go from wanting to work on a commune and having a, a skill to deciding that, that making pots and weaving was, was that skill? Well, it wasn't kind of, it wasn't really a, a decision. It, 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 you know, I think when you look back on your life, everything seems like it, comes together, but when you're actually living it, it's kind of a step-by-step -step, uh, kind of groping in the dark, and you hope that what you're doing is leading to something something worthwhile, and, and you know, I think it has. But um, what happened was that um, I, I really didn't want to go to a commune alone. I wanted to go with some friends, and uh, my friends got jobs and started, you know, settling down. Um, and then I found that I really, uh, I liked weaving. I, I, I loved ceramics, actually. I, I really identified more with that material than with weaving. Um, and then I decided, well, maybe I should go to graduate school. And it was silly. I, I didn't have any background as an, in art, or, um, and I really didn't understand what was necessary to go to graduate school in, in, um, in uh, art or craft. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I applied a number of places, uh, and the good schools turned me down. And I, but I did get accepted to a school in Mexico. And so I um, left New York and, and moved to Mexico in 1971. Um, and then that led in, me into Guatemala and 
somehow I ended up in a weaving town in Guatemala. Now, if I had ended up in a ceramics town today, I might be a potter, um, but I ended up in a weaving town. Um, so that really put me on this path. And then in 1978, I think it was, I moved to Lawrence, Kansas. I, I lived in Guatemala about five years and um, then went, moved back to New York City for a while and then moved to Kansas. And when I got there, I realized that that was one of the schools that my teacher, my original weaving teacher, had suggested I apply to for graduate school. And, you know, back when I was first learning, I, I did not even apply to Kansas um, because I had that New York attitude of the Midwest. Um, and it turned out Lawrence, Kansas is a really magical town, and, and I was very, very happy there. Um, anyway, I uh, applied and I got into the, the program for um, a BFA. And because I already had a BA, I only had to do art and design classes. So it's a really, really wonderful two and a half years of very focused study. And, you know, even though I could have done ceramics then, by then I felt that I had already uh, moved so far along in the weaving field that I should just stick, just focus on that one, one, one way of working. Um, and it, it's worked well for me. There's so much in what you just said that I want to ask more questions about. Um, but the first question I want to ask is, what was it about weaving? What did you start to explore within the, that form that kept you wanting to keep working within it? Um, <clears throat> that's an interesting question. Well, I think that weaving is, first of all, I do think of it as very magical, that you take these this kind of a chaos of individual threads, and then in a very organized way, you turn them into a functional plane mm. that can be used for functional objects like clothing or rugs or curtains or art making. And it's just, it's, it's also very mathematical. And, um, you know, when I actually started my very first college uh, program, I was a math major for one semester. And so, I mean, my understanding of math is very rudimentary, and I, but I do love to count. And I think that weaving has a lot to do with, with math and with systems. Um, and there's just so much to learn. I mean, I, sometimes I open a book and I realize I'm still a beginner. I, I just have so much to learn. I mean, it definitely feels like this is a, a way of working that you need many lifetimes to come back as a weaver if you want to do it properly or if you really want to understand it. Um, so I think that it's really the fact that it, it keeps me interested because there's still so much more to learn. Like, a, I'm a very, I think I have a very curious mind, you know, very, I'm curiosity. I'm, I, I, I want to understand things, and weaving is complex. Even though, you know, you can define weaving in the simplest way, that it's just some threads go up and some go down, and then a, a second element goes horizontal, uh, perpendicular to the vertical ones. Um, but what you can do with it is just so amazing and fascinating to me. 
So you mentioned that you did your first schooling in Mexico, and I'm wondering where in Mexico were you and what was your textile education like there? What did it involve? Um, okay, so I got a, um, I was accepted into a program at the Instituto Allende, in San Miguel de Allende. And it, it, was a, it was kind of geared to tourists. And so people could come in and they could take a class for a week or two weeks, or you could get your master's degree in nine months. And essentially, if I had signed attendance for nine months, I would have gotten a master's degree. Um, it was not a rigorous program. The looms were already pre-threaded. People literally could get a master's degree without knowing how to um, thread a loom. Um, and it just, it, I had, you know, had many things I wanted to understand and it just was not meeting my needs. Um, so actually I dropped out of the school after um, three months and then, but I stayed in San Miguel, which is a beautiful town. And I traveled all over Mexico and that was my home base. Um, and then after about a year, I think I was there about a year, friends of mine from the States came through and I left with them and, and we were actually heading to South America. <clears throat> and they actually got there to the, to the very tip of South America. But as soon as I got into Guatemala, I, I had this recognition that this is the place that I've always dreamed about. And, you know, I, I just, every time I thought about going on, because of course I wanted to go to travel more, there was just another town to visit. There was another textile that I was in search of. Um, and so I never did get, I did get to Honduras and um, El Salvador, but I didn't get any further south than that. And who were you learning backstrap weaving from in, in Guatemala? And, and yeah. what did that experience open you up um, to as an artist? Yeah, it's the Mayan Indian women who, who live there. It's part of their, you know, indigenous culture. Um, and they were the weavers. Um, so I, I, the first town I lived in was called uh, Santiago Atitlan. And um, at that time, uh, there were hardly any... Um, Westerners living in that town. I think um, my friends had rented a house there, and um, and so we we were really the only ones. And then when they left, I was there alone. Then a couple of other uh, travelers moved into my house with me. Some other women. Um, but I remember walking around the town to look at, and everybody, you know, in in Guatemalan towns, there's a very uh, strict code of what you do. So, um, you know, it's like you can identify the town that, that somebody comes from because of the clothing they're wearing. Um, so in that particular town, all the women weave, but not all of them love to weave and not all of them are as skilled as, they're all skilled, but not, but of course, there always seems to be certain people that rise to the top because there's some passion involved in what they do. So I do remember uh, walking around looking for somebody to teach me, and if I went, sometimes I'd find I'd meet somebody, and then they would say, "Oh no, no, Wani is the teacher," and over and over again I was sent back to this woman named Wani, and um, I guess she had taught an American before me, and therefore she acquired the title of teacher. Um, 
So uh, I, I would go to her every day. I'd give her 25 cents every day um, for my morning lesson. And I learned um, how to use a backstrap loom uh, from her. I learned brocading. And again, I learned the specific um, technique of that town. And because most of the, I mean, the, each town has a slightly different way of doing brocade and different motifs and different color uses. And they don't, in general, they just do what, what's appropriate to their town. They don't learn the whole gamut. Um, and I was there long enough that I just traveled around from town to town. Well, the other town that I really lived in for a while was Neba up in the um, mountains of the Cuchimantanas. And um, I had a teacher there too, um, Maria. And uh, she was lovely. And her whole family kind of, you know, took me in as, you know, just treated me very kindly. That's great. What an experience. Yeah. They were and wonderful people, you know. Um, of course, you know, that was during the Vietnam era. And I was very disdainful of our country and what we were doing in the world, just like I am right now. And um, it was interesting to live with these people who really, they were the poorest. They, they were so poor. But for me, what they did and how they lived was like a, a, a life of wealth. For one thing, they had a sense of identity that they knew their place. They knew home. They knew north, south, east, and west. And I guess I've always sort of felt like a wanderer, never quite fitting anywhere. So that, that looked good. And they had a very strong identity, of course, with their village and with their family. And um, it, it was a, um, it was really a lovely uh, uh, time for me to be uh, involved with these people, and that was before the killings started in Guatemala. Um, I left the country in um, 19, mid 1976, and the killings had just um, they just started, um, but then they got really bad in the late 70s. That was terrible, really. And I haven't been back since 1976. I left the country, and as much as I love it, I, I guess it just felt like a chapter had closed in my life. And so how did you find your way um, towards weaving on a jacquard loom, which is yeah. about as far as you can get from a backstrap loom, probably? Exactly. It, it, it really is. And, you know, and the... The, I, I work on a hand jack card now, so I am still throwing the shuttle, but it's still the, my uh, loom. It's the TC1 uh, created by Digital Weaving Norway. Um, it, it's connected to an air compressor, and it's connected to a computer, and it has two vacuum pumps that make it work. Uh, well, one of my looms has one vacuum pump. The other has two. Um, so it's completely different than picking up some sticks, sticks and making a weaving. And you, you know, I love that I know how to do backstrap weaving because I really feel that if the electricity goes out or everything, you know, goes, which it won't, but I don't think it will. You know, I still have the ability to weave, but as long as the, I can plug into the electric um, grid, I really love using my my hand jacquard loom. Um, 
but it was, um, well, the, you know, the brocading I learned in Guatemala was very um, figurative. So you made birds, or you made figures with earrings or carrying water jugs. And, and it, 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 it lent itself to my way of, um, of um, my attraction to textiles has a lot to do with the narrative quality that I see in some textiles. Um, and so I did a lot of brocading in my own work and also painting, painted warps to get some imagery. And, I th and then I had an, uh, a dobby loom for a while and I was handpicking different weave structures in order to get my imagery. So in a way it was like a pseudo jacquard. And, uh, and so the jacquard is sort of the natural evolution in terms of the way I was working structurally. Um, but it was because I got a teaching job at um, Philadelphia College of Textiles and Sci Science. At, I was uh, 1990 to 2000. I was the head of the weaving program there. Um, and they had, um, well, when I was hired, they had these jacquards that were from the 19th century uh, car, uh, machines where you literally had to have a set of cards punched to get your um, your motifs to get your fabric done. And they threw out the equipment in 1991 and brought in two fully electronic jacquard looms. So they were uh, summit looms with stobbly jacquard heads, fully electronic, meaning that you, uh, you designed completely on the computer and you put it on a disc and then you brought the disc to the loom, to the computer attached to the loom and and then it, you press two buttons and it wove. You, you were not throwing the shuttle. And I, I guess I, I just really felt like I was at the right place at the right time. Um, so, you know, my students were learning uh, textiles to go into textile industry. And at that time, there were still jobs. You know, by, um, by this time of year, in any school year, my seniors would be flying all over the you know, all over the country, really, look, uh, being interviewed for jobs, and everyone was hired. Um, so I was teaching them very, you know, uh, how to do uh, uh, designing for upholstery or, or for garments. But in my own work, I was doing wall hangings. And I, I just, I loved that I could, you know, write an essay or write a artist statement and then um, I could weave the whole thing. So I, and a lot of the reading and, and looking into you that I was doing as I was preparing to talk to you, I read the New Tools, No Limits keynote address that you wrote for that con conference that you sent yeah, me. Yeah, for a surface design conference, right? Yes. It was in Portland, I think, I think it was in 1995. Yeah, so, yeah. So something around then. Mm -hmm. There was there was something that you wrote in that address that really interested me and that I was wondering if you could talk about a little bit more. And you wrote that there was very little in contemporary art that was interesting interesting to you these days. And you went on to say, and I'm quoting you here, that compassion, generosity, beauty, mercy, spirit, gratitude, friendship, and community all seem like important areas of investigation to me, end quote. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk about how these themes are woven into your work. And in particular, I'm interested in hearing about the investigation of beauty. Yeah. 
Um, hmm, I, I, it's been a long time since I read that essay, so I, I don't hmm. really know the, exactly what I said. Um, and I do want to say that, um, of course, there's a lot of things in contemporary art world that I'm interested in. Um, it, it just depends on my mood, or maybe it's the time of day, how grouchy I am. Sure. Um, <laughs> but um, I guess it, I think that it really is, that was a time when the word beauty was actually um, like a curse word or something. You know, um, it's like if you were doing something about beauty, then it, it's as if it didn't have any um, uh, gravitas, right? And I think today too that um, m many artists are um, very interested in, um, they're very didactic in, in what they're doing, right? So it's like some like a political slogan in some ways, right? Um, or um, and I guess that I'm from a generation or my exposure to art that where it really like touched me was when it was really a, about the visual and and artists didn't have to have a, a long, thesis to explain what they were doing they they literally would say just look at it if, if I had the words I would um, I'd be a writer but it, it's not about the written word it's about something that you're supposed to visualize and see um, and I think there's a lot of ugliness in the world so um, I actually don't want to add to that so I think doing work uh, I mean, just even saying the words compassion, generosity, friendship, there's something very good. There's something very good in those, in what they represent, right? So I do want my work to, I would love my work to um, actually be um, awe-inspiring, to make people think about uh, how the greatness of the human spirit um, and the capabilities of the human species. I, I don't want to um, talk about there is. I don't want to talk about the atrocities that we're capable of doing. I want to talk about um, the beauty that we can put into the world. Hmm. Does that make it, sense? It does. It's it's really powerful, and I'm curious. What were the reaction of your students in that time as you were teaching them and encouraging them to explore these themes? Um, well, like I said, when I was teaching in Philadelphia Textiles, then um, it really was, uh, we, 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 it was not an art program, it was an industrial program. And so we, we didn't have to bring in, um, it wasn't all about our personal angst or our personal hopes, it was really about clients and marketplace, right? And it's very traditional about, you know, like, well, I think it's beautiful. Floral design is can be so beautiful. It can also be very trite, but, mm -hmm. you know, I encourage my students to do work. I wanted them to do work that was meaningful to themselves, but that also they, they could never forget that there was a client and a, a certain price point they'd have to meet, that kind of thing. Um, so when I went to the University of Kansas in 2000, um, I was only there for two years, but um, those it, there, it was an art school and, or an art, a program geared to art, art making. And then we could talk more about it. I think that um, 
Well, this is a very good time for textiles. Um, the greater art, art scene is quite interested in the material, materiality of textiles. Um, I, I think it's a different take on my interest. Um, I mean, I am totally committed to weaving. I'm a weaver. That, I mean, that, that's my identity. And, and more than my identity, it's been my lifeline. Um, it, you know, it's just run through and held me together, really, you know, for, for 50 years. As an adult, it's held me together. Where I think that for many people, it's just a novel material right now that, you know, because it can fold or bend or, or be taut. I mean, they, it, it can be so expressive. But, you know, I think mo many or most of these people will not be working with textiles in another five or 10 years. Um, so, you know, it's different. For me, it's, I would almost say that weaving is my master. And, mm. uh, you know, um, I, I, I really don't have any um, desire to go and explore other materials because there's still enough here to keep me interested. And this question about beauty, I'd say that my current work, <clears throat> or my current, my direction where I'm going, is even more about trying to get the sense of beauty in a textile that I don't see in a lot of contemporary work. But I know it exists because I've seen it in work from the 14th and 15th centuries, 16th centuries. Um, you know, when I went to Turkey and I went to Topkapi and I saw the display of garments that um, the nobility wore, um, I mean, they're, uh, uh, they're just incredibly beautiful. Um, and that is where I hope, I hope my work can, can achieve that kind of a um, power. Can you talk some more about what you're working on now and the materials and themes that you're working with? Um, sure. Um, well, I actually, I've just taken, um, cut off uh, warps on three of my looms. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> One of them is uh, I'm work, I have an HF Maycomber, and I love weaving plain weave. I love plain weave. And so anyway, I just took off a um, series of um, dish towels that I'm exchanging with a group of friends. And my towels are made with a natural colored cotton from mm. Lunatic Fringe. It's mm -hmm. really a beautiful yarn. So it's very simple and it's, of course, it's a dish towel, so it's a heavy, sturdy material. You know, I'm trying to make it appropriate to its, its use. Um, but from my Jacquard looms, I have, so I own two TC1 looms. And one of them is set up right now at 30 ends per inch and the other is set up with 60 threads to the inch. And um, both of them have uh, cotton warps. Uh, on the 60, on, um, on both of them, I just recently used this very, very fine silk. Um, I know that we talked about fine threads and I so appreciate, Sarah, that you are now um, offering this 40s2 cotton um, to people. I mean, I wanted yes. the 60s too, but 40s too is plenty fine. Um, <laughs> but the silk that I'm using, it's, it's even finer than that. It's finer than, than the hair on our, on our heads. Um, it's pretty amazing. Two, two 20s, two 20s over two. Hmm. Um, wow. Or tram silk. I mean, I, I don't even know where I acquired some of this 
this yarn. Um, so it, what has happened means is that uh, I've been weaving it about 300 picks to the inch because it packs down so uh, so much. Um, and you know it, it, it's it, what happens in the cloth when you change your structure. So the jacquard allows me to have lots of different structures in one textile as well as multiple using multiple wefts at the same time so that I get different colors. So that a textile, it's kind of like a hologram and that as it, if you move around it or the textile moves, certain things show up and they, they disappear and then they show up because of the light reflection. Um, so what I'm hoping, what I'm planning to do next is I'm going to take my eight module TC1 and reconfigure it. So right now, it's, it weaves at about 28 inches wide um, at 60 threads to the inch. And um, it's going to, I'm going to reconfigure it so I can weave, it'll only be 14 inches wide, the cloth, but it'll be 120 threads to the inch. Wow. And that, then I can use a much finer thread for the warp so that the warp will be as fine as the weft. And then it should give me an even a more uh, subtle, uh, a more, um, a very, very fine fabric. And um, I don't know, we'll see what happens. It's going to take me, it's going to take me a while. Um, my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. And so, you know, I'm a little nervous about rethreading the loom. I know it'll work, but it's, I'm going to take my time doing it so that I do it um, correctly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you, you know, oh, go uh, ahead. Um, I'll just say this. At one point, one summer, I actually uh, did the six week um, class at Liceo, Fondacion de la Liceo in, in Florence. Hmm. And they, they have, and they only have like six students per summer in the class. Um, and they have, I think, six uh, hand jacquard looms from the, uh, from the uh, 1800s and um, I think that their warps were set up at over 200 threads to the inch. Um, so I do have some small pieces that I did there that are just, you know, of course I love them because they have this quality of the textiles that I, like that I mentioned from, from the Ottoman textiles or the Safavid textiles. Um, so 120 is not going to be the finest that I've ever woven on but it'll be the finest that I'll ever weave on in my own studio. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see some photos of what you make when that, when that comes off the loom. It sounds yeah. pretty incredible. <laughs> I'll definitely post them. <laughs> great. Great. So in addition to all of this weaving and learning and exploring of this that you do on your own, you're also a teacher, both within academia and at places like Penland and in your own studio. And mm -hmm. I'm curious what keeps you interested and motivated to keep bringing new weavers into the fold and what you love about that work. Mm. Um, well, it's simple. I mean, people enjoy doing it. And I love, I love watching somebody go from a complete novice um, to kind of owning the, um, they own the knowledge. Um, so, you know, I co-taught at, at uh, Penland with Tommy Scanlon, 
and we had an eight-week class. It, it was truly amazing because almost most of the class were new weavers. And um, I think that out of 12 people, seven of them bought looms after mm. the class. And I think they all continued weaving. Um, and yes, it, it's just very, very exciting to see people uh, understand, you know, for you to show them something and for them to understand it and then to be able to do what they want to do. So I, I'm never trying to have somebody do what I do. Um, I mean, it's hard enough for me to do it. Um, but to try to, for them to be able to be skilled enough to, to meet their own, own needs. And um, so it, it's, always, it's always fun to teach people. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, w well, when you can work with somebody over a semester, that can be really wonderful, uh, but sometimes that's frustrating, if, especially if you know the young people are taking five different classes, they don't really have enough time. So the, I'd say this eight weeks at Penland was very um, special because this they weren't focusing on anything except what we were doing in the studio, and people were in there from morning till very late at night, you know, till early morning every day. Um, so it was a very um, stimulating, invigorating eight weeks. Um, now, in my own studio these days, I do private teaching. So people will get in touch with me, and they kind of let me know what, what they want to learn. I mean, I've had people come just to learn Photoshop. Um, I've had, when I had a Dobby Loom, I had somebody come to learn the Dobby Loom. But most of the people come to learn and use my Jacquard uh, Looms. Um, and again, I, you know, find out where they are at their level. Um, recently, uh, somebody came who already knew how to use a, um, the loom, how to design. And so we worked, before she came, we worked, you know, she made her files and I, I checked them so that um, she fixed some things so that when she came, she could just weave. Hmm. And she she wove almost eight yards in four days. Wow. It was truly extraordinary. Um, wow. Very gratifying. But most people come to learn and, and they don't walk away with, uh, they walk away with very little cloth, but they walk away with a lot of knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Well, Bhakti. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me well, something else. I, I think it's kind of interesting that people have said to me they think it's interesting that I'm interested, that I'm because I'm a skilled uh, uh, weaver, that I would be interested in teaching beginners. But I love teaching beginners. Um, they're so fresh. And, you know, I think that if you can explain something to people, because weaving can be complex. And, you know, I feel myself that when I first learned to weave, I, I could follow instructions, but I didn't understand why I was doing it or what it was about. You know, it took me many years before I really, really grasped the process. And I always swore that if I was to be a teacher, I was going to explain the why, not just how, but why. And when you put those two things together, then, then the people can really uh, grasp the knowledge and turn it into their own, their own lives their own way of working. Hmm. That's really special. It's really special. I could tell 
even when you just visited me for an hour in my studio and you had so many ideas and resources to share with me of people who I could source yarn from and mills I should talk to and other weavers I should connect with, I could tell that um, you really put a lot of care uh, into developing the, the weavers and other people you work with. So. Yeah, I mean, I do think that it's a very, you know, when you take weaving, that's exactly, that's exactly what we do when we're weaving. We take separate threads and we put mm. it together as a whole. And that's, so true. you know, I think that's what a teacher does. It's like making a community from separate individuals. And, you know, when your business thrives, then I, then I, I can, I can get what I want <laughs> when you, you know, <laughs> we're all part of this, this community and helping each other. And it is a small community, so yeah. it's very easy to help people make connections. Yeah. And it's a vital, it's a very vital community. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Well, Bhakti, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and, and share your stories today. And before we wrap up, I'm wondering if you could both tell people about where they can find out more about you and your work online and also to see if you have any closing advice or words of wisdom that you'd want to share with other weavers. <laughs> words of wisdom. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm actually right now building a new website. Um, my website was hacked two years ago. And, you mm -hmm. know, after putting all that effort into making it, I just couldn't face doing it. But, you know, then today, you know, this week, I hope within the next week or two to get a one up that really has good images of my work and people can see all in one place. Um, and actually I deleted my Facebook account this week, which immediately I thought, now that's silly. How am I going to tell people about this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I'm going to reactivate it. So right. I do have a Facebook account. It's Bhakti Zeke Weaver. Okay. And it's, you know, a page and anybody can sign up for that. Um, the other one, the, the Bhakti Zeke, I just try to keep for my family. Um, and then I think if you Google my name, because I used to do a very active blog and I haven't posted for a long time, um, maybe with my new website, I'll, I'll start doing that again. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you can Google me and, and images will come up. But I would say, yeah, just bhaktizik.com is going to be my, is my website. Um, so um, hopefully people will will look and and I can maybe this will get me really committed to do it within the next week or two. Great. Yeah. Um, and as to words of wisdom, I, I just I don't know. I just think um, you should do what what you enjoy and um, and uh, like with weaving. Um, I think, you know, just do it. <laughs> That's a wrap. If you'd like to see photos of Bhakti's stunning work, which you do, I promise, you can find the show notes at www.gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 14. That's G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N dot com. Next week on the podcast, I'm talking to Consuelo Jimenez Underwood, Fiber artist and weaver Consuelo Jimenez Underwood is the daughter of migrant agricultural workers, a Chicana mother and a father of Huichol descent. We talked about her weavings commemorating people who lose their lives crossing the border from Mexico into California, and how she carved her own path as a textile artist. I really can't wait to share this conversation with you. 
So tune in next Monday, and until next time, happy weaving.